What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It's the Political Free Agents Podcast, and we're here live on Blessed Beats Media. Want to welcome everybody to the show tonight. As always, we want you to check us out at politicalfreeagents.com on social media at PFA Podcast. And you can catch us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And so what we do here is basically look at politics. We look at news. We look at what's going on in the world, specifically in this country. And we try to do it in a nonpartisan way. We don't want to catch people with the pro-Trump or anti-Trump or pro-this person or anti-this person. We just try to look at it from a straightforward way because when you start making a team, when you jump on a team, what do you want to do? You want to support that team, right? By any means necessary. Matter of fact, I have a friend, speaking of uh, teams, uh, in Chicago who wants to say that the Bulls are a dynasty, and he defines a dynasty as being – Dominant for 10 years and by any means necessary, he's going to stand by the fact that the Bulls are dominant in the 90s or were dominant. And it just doesn't meet the 10 year criteria. And uh, hopefully he's uh, listening because I know it's going to drive him crazy not to be able to respond to me live. But (laughs) my point is, when you have a team, you will do anything that you can to make sure that your team is shown in the best light. Right. So you want to make sure your team is number one. Your team is, you know, whatever. You want to just ride for your team. And and that's cool when it comes to sports. But when it comes to politics, there are deeper things at play. So if you're trying to ride for a team, uh, let's say you're, you know, with the Republicans and you're riding with the Republicans, you tend to ignore what the Republicans are saying. Right. And, you know, the bad things that they're doing, you kind of, you know, let's, let's, let's brush them under the rug. Let's. Let's not focus on those things, um, but we need to, right? Same thing with the Democrats. You, you tend to want to brush some things under the rug or excuse it, and it, but we need to. We need to look at these things, and we need to say, you know what? You're wrong. You're right. You know, whatever. No matter who it is, let's get these things resolved because when we don't, we end up with what we have now, which is a bunch of people in, in politics arguing trying to save a seat, trying to save power, right? So anyway, this that's what we we tend to do here. So we just kind of take the news, we take what's going on, and we kind of look at it in, in, in that sense. Uh, to start off each episode, though, we kind of take a look at, you know, some sidebar topics, um, generally sports. And since the NBA finals are going on right now, um, it's kind of it's kind of required that I talk about it, right? Got to talk about KD, right? So Kevin Durant came back in the game. People are giving him a lot of credit for even trying to come back. And, I mean, uh, okay. All right. You know, he he tried to play. And, you know, that, that's good. But I think for him, I think it was um, a great move contractually. So regardless of, you know, what heroics or whatnot, you know, people attribute to uh, Kevin Durant uh, – for him, his contract is up. He's coming into a, a new year where he has to determine whether or not he's going to stay with Golden State or move on. And he just showed, hey, I'm willing to sacrifice myself, sacrifice my body in order to come out here and play to try to win this championship. Because by all measures, it doesn't look like they can do it without him, which is kind of shocking, right? But maybe not. Maybe not because they went and got KD after struggling with LeBron and the Cavaliers um, who weren't as deep of a team as they were. And they've now reeled off two uh, championships. And it kind of seems like Toronto got their number. 
It's kind of interesting. I saw somebody posted uh, a meme or something, and it said that uh, it's crazy how dominant LeBron was um, in the fact that we just dismissed the East. We just said the East was so weak because, you know, if LeBron's team couldn't do it, then nobody really could. I mean, what, eight, nine straight finals? Um, but here we have Toronto, who was about to take out Golden State. It's just very interesting to me that that's the uh, potential outcome here. And granted, they they don't have KD, but this team um, still has the Splash Brothers, still has Draymond, Iguodala, you know. But they do they have seen uh, some holes in their lineup, I think. But either way, um, I just find it interesting that Toronto is in this position because. I didn't think anybody in the East really had a shot, to be honest. I mean, in my opinion, the Rockets should have been in the finals, but <clears throat> that's just me team riding. All right, so <laughs> what's going on uh, in the news? Um, I don't know if you've heard, but the the Save Chick-fil-A bill, <laughs> like the fact that it even exists, um, is, was interesting, but the Save Chick-fil-A bill uh, was signed into law by Texas Governor uh, Greg Abbott on Monday. And I, I find it interesting because this is one of those team writing bills in a sense, right? So on one hand, you have those who support the LGBT community, and they say that Chick-fil-A um, is giving money uh, to organizations that they dislike. So you know, they are against Chick-fil-A in different places. I believe it happened in Atlanta as well, where they were against Chick-fil-A being added to a stadium or something to that effect. I haven't largely followed it because, I mean, for the most part, I could really care less if there's uh, extra Chick-fil-A added or if it's not, even though it's an amazing place to eat. Um, it's just not that high on my level of priority. Uh, but it may be for you. Maybe it is. Um, let us know. Hit us up on social media. Um, but essentially, um, there was a council member who stated uh, or reportedly uh, said, and this will be linked in the show notes, said that um, the city did not have the room in our public facilities for a business with a legacy of anti-LGBTQ behavior. And so what this bill is supposed to do and, and what it's targeting um, it's basically stating that a city cannot, um, based on religious beliefs or who a company gives to, uh, they cannot discriminate against that company. So if you take away all emotions and you look at it just straightforward and you, let's say, let's say we flip it, let's say it was a, just whatever, I don't know. Pick whatever religious organization you wanted. Let's say, let's flip it and say it actually was supporting the LGBTQ. And let's say that there was a bill. Um, there were people who were against it and saying, we don't want this company here because it supports the LGBTQ. And they ended up, um, you know, fighting it. And there was a bill that came up that said, hey, you know what? You can't discriminate if the company supports LGBTQ. And in that scenario, how would you feel? Would you feel the same? Would you feel like, well, that's right. Of course, you shouldn't be able to do that. You know, it, it shouldn't bother you if they support the LGBTQ. And I think a lot of what they're saying, Chick-fil-A, in terms of anti-LGBTQ is, and that's that's a mouthful. Have you ever tried to say that a lot of times? I've said it about five times now, and that's just a mouthful. But either way, um, I believe they're attributing some of the things that the CEO um, has said in the past because um, he says made some controversial statements and things of that sort. And, you know, very similar to um, John, uh, John Schneider, um, who was the CEO of Papa John's, who had, you know, his, his racist moment and he ended up being outed. Um, so this is pretty much the same thing, like a CEO of the company um, making some statements, doing some things as well as the seemingly the company supporting um, a cause that is anti-LGBTQ, which basically largely, I guess you could say, is a Christian organization. So uh, Governor Abbott 
basically stated that this legislation applies to all Texans equally. I would think we could all agree the government should not penalize individuals and businesses based off their association with, donation to, or support of religious organizations. So again, I pose to you, and I'm not going to go on and on about this law, but it goes in effect on September 1st. If the roles were flipped, and if this bill was you know, about saving company X and company X was um, basically supporting LGBTQ and there was a large um, Christian, you know, organization that was against this and the the city said they weren't going to put this company in or allow this company to come in because, you know, it ended up um, because they supported the LGBTQ. How would you feel about that? That's the kind of stuff that we want to think about, right? That's the kind of thing that we need to uh, do whenever we look at these. We need to see if the roles were flipped, how would that come off to you? How would you feel about it? So in this case, Abbott signed it. Um, it, Companies cannot be discriminated against. And in my opinion, I, I think that's a good thing. I understand that, you know, the emotions of, uh, you know, fighting over support for LGBTQ and those sort of things. I think that's a a very touchy topic. And I understand that that may not be a a role or a take that people will uh, necessarily gravitate to if you're very much so pro LGBTQ as I am. Um, But I also do not think that we should be discriminating against companies in that fashion. Um, Now, from a city level, if the city wants that company to come in and that that company will provide revenue to that city, I'm pretty sure that city will do it. Um, As long as that company itself is not promoting hate or doing anything like that, um, I think it's fine. And I guess there's a slippery slope where you could say technically they are promoting hate um, if they are giving to these organizations. Um, But it's another one of those topics. I just don't think there's a um, right down the middle line that you can draw. I think it's it's very much so in the gray on that, right? So anyway, let us know. What are your thoughts? What do you think is the um, the appropriate action that should have been taken there? Do you agree with Governor Abbott? Do you disagree? What do you think? Hit us up at PFA Podcast. All right. So this is the political free agents here on Bless Beats. Check out blessbeats.com. That's beats with a Z. Blessbeats.com. All right. So we also had a another one that was interesting in Nevada. And so if you have been following um, in the years past, marijuana has been becoming legal in different states. So people think that, you know, And I'll just call it weed. I'm not going to keep calling it marijuana. But people think weed becoming legal means that's like the end all be all. Cool. We can smoke. Good to go. But there's a lot of other nuances to that. Right. One thing that I hadn't even thought about until this article came out. And again, it'll be in the show notes. Um, (laughs) You can still not get hired for smoking weed. Like you can still like you can smoke is legal. But a company could still say, no, you cannot be hired. And with that, potentially be fired. So that, along with a lot of other issues with it becoming legal, like I'm not sure if you notice, but or no, but um, certain businesses cannot that are basically, <laughs> let's say, uh, weed dealers, um, they basically cannot um, write off certain expenses. And so as a business, as a business owner myself, if I go do certain things, I can write off that expense so I can say, okay, uh, this certain thing that I did was a part of my business is how I ran my business. So let's say if I made a thousand dollars in a year and it cost me five hundred dollars to make that thousand, like I had to go buy, I don't know, a a laptop or something. Um, And then I use that laptop to make five hundred dollars and my total I mean, to make a thousand dollars, my total taxable income would be five hundred dollars at the end of the year. Basically, take the income, 
subtract the expenses, and then that's what I end up having to pay taxes on. Well, if you're a wheat dealer, <laughs> the legal kind, <laughs> that is actually paying taxes, you actually cannot uh, write off certain things. And I, I'm pretty sure that's a state-by-state -state basis. Um, I believe I'm, the story I read on it uh, was California, and I think Colorado, maybe more than that. Um, so to run a weed business, it's, it's very expensive. And they, they try to put those barriers up um, because if they didn't and they, they made it really easy to start your own weed company, I mean, basic run-of-the-mill people who are out here, out here selling weed will just make their own business and start selling their own weed. And, you know, I think they want it to be legal, but they want to kind of put the reins on it a little bit. Right. You know, they don't want to really just let it loose, per se. You know, so basically what we end up with is a situation like this where it's legal, but you can still be refused a job. So starting in 2020, this is an article from CNN. Starting in 2020, Nevada employers cannot refuse to hire a job applicant for failing a marijuana screening test, making it the first state to pass such a law, which means basically all the other states, it's still legal to discriminate if, you know, it could be legal in the state, but you could still not be hired. And so it goes on to say it is unlawful for any employer in this state to fail or refuse to hire a prospective employee because the prospective employee submitted to a screening test and the results of the screening test indicate the presence of marijuana. This is a sign. This state's law was signed by the governor, Steve Sisolak. I think that's how you say it uh, on the fifth of this month. And so there are some exceptions, of course. Um, it's the law doesn't apply to firefighters, EMTs, employees who operate a motor vehicle or those who in the determination of the employee could adversely affect other safety. So on one hand, again, take off the partisan hat. I'm pro weed. I don't smoke it. Um, I personally don't think you <laughs> should partake of anything that impairs your body. I don't drink either. But if you do, it's 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 fine. Like it, it's no judgment on my behalf. That's just the way I choose to live my life. I eat an extra amount of sweets, which I'm trying to cut back on. You may feel like that's um, the incorrect thing to do, and that's okay. To each his own, basically. Um, but I am 100% for people being able to make that decision to smoke weed and to get it off of the uh, drug list that it's on. It's basically up there higher than cocaine, uh, the last I checked. So you can basically smoke weed, not die. Unless you mix it with some extra stuff. But let's just say straight up weed. Um, but it is considered a higher class of a drug than drugs that can actually kill you if you smoke too much of it. Um, so I think the classification in weed has a long history. I won't dive into all of that, but it's a very long industry. I mean, long history um, of targeting weed. Um, because weed was a chosen African-American drug to use, just like uh, opium prior to that was, I believe it was Chinese immigrants or Japanese immigrants used to uh, use opium a lot. And the laws came down heavily on that. All the while, alcohol kills thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And it's at the store. Anybody can buy it. So I think all of that is lopsided. So with that in, in, you know, within that vein, that's why I believe weed should be legal. Right. You choose to smoke it or you don't. But with that understanding. If you are an EMT, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, I don't want my EMT with the munchies. I mean, you want to <laughs> you want to be in the back of a ambulance smoked out. <laughs> I mean, obviously they can't smoke on the job, but still, do you want somebody that's, uh, you know, on weed? Maybe you do. Maybe it'll calm that individual down. Um, you know, and the same thing with the firefighter. You know, you want a firefighter using the flames from your house to light his blunt. <laughs> OK, I'm being silly, but still, you know, there's there are certain jobs that you don't want, you know, that person to be impacted by any sort of uh, substance. 
You know, you don't want a doctor, you know, that's operating on somebody to be high. Right. Because even though weed isn't as bad as other drugs, you're still high. Okay, And so that adversely affects your mental capacity to do certain things. Maybe it doesn't keep you from doing them, but maybe you just don't care as much. Right. The weed relax you and you're just like, you know what, I'll try to snip this one. I know I shouldn't try to get this organ, but eh, I'm going to go ahead. You know, whatever, whatever the situation may be. We don't want that scenario. So I understand certain jobs. Um, it should be illegal um, to have somebody that's impaired. Now, whether or not you should lose your job, that's a different case, because if you're smoking and you're not coming to work high, but you're smoking in your off hours. So let's say you get off work and you come home and instead of kicking your feet up and, and drinking a, a, a cold beer, you like to hit a joint or two. By the time you get to work, you're no longer high. So, I mean, there's all those gray lines. So, I mean, to an extent, I can understand, um, you know, them making it a an issue with your job um, because you could end up saying, hey, I was off five minutes before my shift started, and but then you're still high on your shift. So all of those gray areas, it's just hard to police every single moment like that. So, but I think Nevada did the right thing here. You know, they say that the legal cannabis industry is uh, flourishing in Nevada. Uh, I know in Colorado, um, it definitely has uh, financially for Colorado. It's been very, very lucrative in Colorado. And so, you know, I, I think as the country legalizes weed more and more, I think bills like this in other states helps different states kind of move those forward as well. Um, it's kind of like a proving ground. And this is the concept of states' rights, where each individual state has their rights to make certain decisions that the um, federal government doesn't necessarily control. Um, so bravo. Bravo for Nevada. All right. So last week um, or the last couple episodes or so, uh, visit politicalfreeagents.com slash episodes and you can check them all out. Um, but I believe is the last two episodes we talked about tariffs. And the reason we talked about it, because things keep happening, right? Like th this tariff stuff just doesn't seem to want to go away. And partially or not even partially, let, let's just say it lays fully at the doorstep of President Trump. Um, he thinks tariffs by his admission, he thinks tariffs are a great tool. They're a great weapon in fighting whatever the scenario may be. So what happened was uh, Trump decided he was going to take tariffs and he was going to um, apply them to Mexico. And so in doing that, um, he was basically making the statement that Mexico, you better pick up your um, protection of America to keep illegal immigration down from your side. Um, or we're going to slap you with a 5% tariff. Okay. So he basically uses tariffs as a weapon. And as we've talked about before, tariffs themselves, they're not paid by that country. They're paid by you. Now, I'm not going to go all the way through that whole scenario um, again, but the short of it, in case you haven't caught it, is a tariff is paid by the importer. So the importing company pays that tariff. So if he says there's a 5% tax and there is a product that me as company X imports from Mexico, no matter what it is, if it's on the tariff list, I should say, if it's cost a hundred dollars, it's now, now me, the importer is going to have to pay $105 for it. That $5 then makes that product to my customers more expensive because I'm not going to lose, right? If I used to buy it for 100 and I sold it for $150, i am not now just going to say, oh, there's a 5% tariff. Here's, you know, here's uh, this $45 profit. Now I'm just going to go ahead and suck up that 5%. No, no, no. That product is now going to cost one hundred and fifty five dollars. So who so the importer 
ends up having to pay that tariff, right? They have to pay is basically a tax. They pay that tax, but then who actually pays for it? You do. I do. Right? Whoever's buying that product, that's who pays for the tariff. So Trump uses it saying, you know, we're taking in billions, taking in billions of dollars in tariffs. And he says that we're taking it in from China, but we're not. We're just simply not. We're not. We're taking it in from American importers. And then the American consumer is now having to backfill that uh, through higher prices. Now, his last tweet about it, um, and I didn't pull it up, but um, I'll see I'll see about linking it in the uh, show notes. His last tweet about it um, said that there's no visible proof of um, inflation. Okay, (laughs) this this is understandable, understandable from someone with his wealth. He's not seeing it. People that don't have to count their pennies. They don't see it. People in Congress, they're not going to see it. The majority of them are millionaires anyway. Like the people who are going to see and feel this. They're different people. They're they're everyday Americans who are going to see and feel it. But then it also has one of those um, the frogs in boiling water, frogs in boiling water, where if you put a frog in a pot and you just increase the heat over time, they're just going to sit there. Uh, that's the same thing with this is that you don't necessarily immediately fill it. Now, you would fill it if the gas pump, if the price is just all of a sudden shot up by 23, 24, 25 cents or whatever. Let's say if it's like a 10 percent um, tariff or something that ends up getting slapped on or some tax or whatever. You would feel that at the pump, but we may not see it on a TV or something else or whatever, because we may not track those prices as much. So we may not even recognize it, but we're in boiling water because prices are going up because if they weren't, if the tariffs were so great, why are we bailing out farmers twice? Two years of Trump's presidency, we've had to bail out farmers for tariffs. Okay, so people are definitely feeling it. They're definitely feeling it. It's just we're not making enough noise about it because we're frogs in boiling water. Right. So one thing I I, we talk about these tariffs and we talk about um, the debt and the deficit. And I realize that those terms are thrown around a lot. And there's not real clear distinction. Um, You know, I know I didn't have a clear understanding of debt versus deficit. Um, at first, you know, it, it took me a while and I just used to talk about the debt, but I actually meant the deficit and vice versa, you know, and sometimes I still slip and I say the wrong one. Um, so just as a little backstory before we read this next article, uh, this is coming from um, How Stuff Works. It's just a simple website, but I just pulled it up so we could have a bit of a definition um, or distinction between debt and deficit. Okay. All right, so it says in simple terms, a budget deficit is the difference between what the federal government spends and what it takes in. The national debt, also known as the public debt, is the result of the federal government borrowing money to cover years and years of budget deficits. And then it goes on um, on page two. I'm just going to skip ahead here, uh, but it will be in the show notes. Um, It says the national debt represents the total amount of money that the federal government has borrowed to cover its annual budget deficits. As of March 2013, this is an older one. um, As as of March 2013, the national debt stood at sixteen point seven trillion dollars. And that's from the uh, Department of Treasury that had that listed and said, technically, the U.S. doesn't owe that entire amount to creditors. There was around four point eight trillion dollars is held by various government trust funds. So only eleven point nine trillion is considered debt held by the public, which that includes like savings bonds and things like that. Um, But it also includes Treasury bills, Treasury notes and other government securities that other foreign governments and, you know, 
foreign governments, local governments, banks, corporations, all sorts of people end up buying these. And as of 2012, we owed, um, or the Republic of China, which technically makes them one of our creditors, uh, <clears throat> they owned 1.2 trillion in treasury secretaries, and Japan owned 1.1 trillion, making them the two largest holders of U.S. public debt. So this was 2012, seven years later. Um, I'm pretty sure the new numbers are out, but I was just finding that I found this article specifically for the definitions. But you can see there we basically owe 2.3 trillion to two different countries, China and Japan. They're our biggest biggest creditors. And so from a deficit standpoint, I'll have a uh, link in the show notes from Bloomberg. It says the U.S. budget gap balloons to $7.3 billion despite tariff revenue. So this is what I was meaning regarding the tariffs is, yeah, those tariffs are coming in, but they're not closing the gap. And let's let's read on and we'll see why momentarily. So this was an article from uh, today. It came out today, um, June 12th. It says the U.S. budget deficit widen, widened to $738.6 billion in the first eight months of the fiscal year a $206 billion increase from the from a year earlier, despite a revenue boost from Donald Trump's uh, President Donald Trump's tariffs on imported mer- merchandise. The shortfall was 38.8 percent more than the same period a year ago. The Treasury Department said in its monthly budget review released on Wednesday so far in the fiscal year that began October 1st, because the fiscal year doesn't run from January to December. Um, the revenue increase of 2.3% hasn't kept pace with 9.3% rise in spending. All right. So I don't recall which episode, but if you go back through all the episodes um, and if you look at the episode where we talked about the tax cuts and we talked about how the tax cuts are a great political tool because Trump, Republicans, everybody else that had a part in the tax cuts, they get to come out and they get to say, hey, we did this. We cut your taxes. We're awesome. Right. But at the time, I made the statement that it means nothing if you do not decrease spending. Because while they may take less out of your paycheck which hasn't been much less. <laughs> they still they still dip. They still dip more than I would like. Um, but as they're removing less with the left hand, they're taking more with the right hand. OK, now there's a nine point three percent rise in spending. Revenue has increased two point three percent. So we decreased the income through taxes. Right. And then we increased the spending. Those two things don't work. So in your house, I just want you to try this same analogy I used then talking about these taxes. I just want you to try it. Go to your boss and say, hey, cut my income. And then I want you to take that and take that and start spending more. So if you make a thousand dollars a month, I want you to now go to your boss and say, only pay me eight hundred. But I want you to make sure your bills increase. So increase your bills by $200. How does that work out? How does that work out? So if you're in that scenario, let's say your bills are, let's say $900 a month. You got $100 left over. And now your income is only $800 a month. You now are running a deficit of $100. So you go borrow the hundred. Now you're a hundred dollars in debt. So that's how the debt deficit works. So let's say you do that next year or let's say next month. Um, next month. Same thing. You borrow a hundred because you have a hundred dollar deficit. So now you're in debt two hundred dollars and so on and so on and so on. Now you would think at some point your debtor would be like, hey, <laughs> hold on. You're taking in too much. Like, I mean, you're spending too much. You need to back up. You're borrowing too much money from me. You know, right. That's how it will work on a personal level. But not not from this level, because they're just going to continue spending and spending and spending. 
And so as that deficit each year continues to increase and continues to go up, our debt continues to go up, people continue to credit the United States, whether that be China or Japan or you buying a savings bond, uh, people continue to cover those faults. And as they cover those faults, America just says, okay, we'll just keep doing the same thing over and over. But it wouldn't work out for you on a personal level because the miniature creditor came and said, you know what? For the year, I've given you $100 every month. You owe me $1,200. Run me my money. I want my money. I need my $1,200 back. I need that. Go ahead and give it to me. So now in a month that you still can't afford everything that you're spending, you're still running a $100 deficit. Your creditor's now saying, I need $1,200. So you need to come up with $1,300. It wouldn't work for you. But this is how the American government just chooses to continue to live. We just choose to continue doing it. We have no restraints on certain things. Matter of fact, um, I'll have to pull it up. I'll try to put it in the show notes for you. But um, I read that Trump's golf bill has now gone over $100 million. Yeah. Hundred million. So we have no restraints on these sort of things. And mind you, complete sidebar, but a lot of that has gone to his own companies. And you can say he split himself from his companies, but no, he hasn't. He can still withdraw money at any point that he wants because he left that loophole in. Whenever he said, I'm going to give the company to my sons, he can still pull any money he wants. So he's still making money off of his position, no matter how you slice it. So that's a whole nother ball of wax with the emoluments clause and all that sort of stuff. Um, but either way, that's how much he spent on that. And we've had times where we've focused so much like there was the whole uh, transgenders in the military needed to get them out because we spend 16 million dollars a year. Oh, my God. $16 million a year on their medical or something to that effect, $16 million, something around there. Oh, my God, we need to stop it. But Viagra pills are costing more. <laughs> Literally. Literally. So we do these things as a government. We pick and choose what things we want to support, what things we don't, but we just continue to spend money like it's made out of thin air. And if Mike was with us tonight, he would definitely tell you it basically is. <laughs> That's basically how the economy is working. Um, so back to the article, it says, as Trump rat ratcheted up the trade war with China with higher levies on imports from the Asian nation, the U.S. recorded $4.9 billion in custom duties in May, bringing the total to $44.9 billion in the first eight months of the fiscal year almost double the same period a year earlier. Okay, so basically it's about 22, 23 uh, in the same period, first eight months of last year's fiscal uh, fiscal year. Um, so the from from Trump's point, Trump's seeing we're taking in billions, right? We're taking in billions from these Asian countries, right? But let's keep reading. Trump has repeatedly boasted that the U.S. has taken in billions of dollars through the tariffs, though importers in America are actually paying the levies. And this is a thing that people aren't getting. And I will continue to bang this drum as long as you let as long as you listen, <laughs> even if you don't listen, I'm going to bang this drum. Why? Because these tariffs are a tax on the American people. That's what they are. You cannot get away from that. You simply cannot. There's no way around it. It is a tax on the American people. That's just how business works. And I'm not even mad at the importers. The importers aren't supposed to take that loss. They don't need to take that L and say, well, hey, it's a 20 percent tax. I'm just going to make 20 percent less now. You can say greedy corporation and all this all you want. It doesn't matter. That is a business that is in business. It exists to make money. You can look for altruism elsewhere. But if you had a business, you wouldn't just can just take that L. You wouldn't. That's just not how smart business people work. You would not take an L on 20 percent 
less revenue just because the president decided to start putting a tariff. You may you may even be able to afford it, but you really wouldn't. There are other ways for you to get that money to people because giving it to the government, that is not going to help. It is simply not going to help. So we've taken in $44.9 billion. Okay, But we keep reading, it says, even so, those extra funds have failed to keep the budget gap from increasing under Trump, uh, driven by a combination of Republican tra- tax cuts that will add up to about $1.5 trillion over a decade. Eh, eh, they, they're, they're taking a decade argument, and I mean, a number for a decade, and it sounds like it's a lot, and they're doing it for impact. Um, but if we're speaking about this specific year, basically divide that one point five trillion by ten. Right. And so when you say one hundred and fifty million, it's not like, oh, my God, this is just news and, and journalism at its finest right here. That that's a little more of a shock value. But either way, point standing um, that there's been a budget gap under Trump driven by these tax cuts and increased government spending. So the deficit is forecast to reach $897 billion this fiscal year, and that's up from $779 billion last year. And it's supposed to rise to more than a trillion by 2022. That's what the Congressional Budget Office stated. Who's not always accurate, right? If they come out with what the numbers are for this year, you can believe it, right? But if they're telling you future projections, <laughs> like they were uh, they had projected with Obamacare that it would, you know, have certain milestones that it would hit. And they were pretty wildly off, um, you know, so and I mean, off in the opposite direction, you know, that they said it would be positive and it was negative sort of thing or something to that effect. Um, but it says the White House has said the tax cuts will pay for themselves by creating more revenue through faster and sustainable economic growth. In May, the fiscal deficit increased to $207 billion, up 41.5% from the same month last year. The forecast in Bloomberg survey of economists was $202.5 billion. So, again, I, I belabor this point because it's so important that we just continue to run a deficit. It doesn't work for your house. It sure isn't going to work for a country, but we've been doing this for decades. And at some point, these chickens are going to come to roost. Like, let's just be real. They are right now. I mean, we can manipulate the dollar all we want. We can play these funny games with inflation. We can do all those sort of things. But if you disrupt the dollar in any way, or if any country disrupts the dollar in any way and causes, you know, a a decrease in confidence from the American consumer, we're going to quickly find ourselves in another recession. Quickly. And that recession could end up being a depression. Right. So when we have this much debt and we continue to have a deficit every year and that deficit is continuing, continuing to grow. Mind you, this is why I say you don't want to ride with teams. If you ride with the Republicans and you're saying we need Republicans in the office because we need fiscal conservatives. That's what we need. Fiscal conservatives. We have them. We have them. We had them for two years, House, Senate, presidency. We pretty much flipped the Supreme Court. And so for the most part, full Republicans across the board. And the deficit continues to widen. So if you're riding with the team, you're like, hey, 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 the Republicans, that's what we need. We need Republicans because, you know, the 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 uh, Democrats, they're going to spend too much. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, they are. Let's be clear. Democrats get in office. They're going to spend, especially the ones that are running for office right now. You hear about free college and free this and free that. Like, I mean, that money's coming from somewhere. 
Now they're saying they're going to tax the rich and it's going to be this part of thing and they're going to get the money from this place and they're going to do that. Okay. It's all pie in the sky till you can get elected and actually get something signed. But Democrats are going to spend. Republicans are going to spend. And you're seeing it right now. When Obama was in office, it was a lot of talk from Republicans saying, hey, you know, we need to uh, we need to cut back because, you know, they're spending too much. It's not a blank check. We can't be doing this. And then they get in office and it's like, hey, let's let's spend. That's just what they do. That's what they do. All right. So we need to make more noise. We have to. Without a shadow of a doubt, we got to make more noise. There's no way around it. We got to we got to tell people. I mean, we got to get the word out to make people understand that this is something that we cannot allow to continue to happen. But in some lighter news, and then we're going to end up talking about John Stewart. Um, so in some lighter news, abortion. <laughs> OK, it's not lighter news. Um, but we talked about abortion in the last episode, and it's a very difficult topic to address. But. Um, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. Please go back to the last episode. In the, in that episode, I made the mention that I believe it's the same thing as this uh, Chick-fil-A bill we talked about. There's not a clear-cut definition that you can come to that everybody's going to be okay with. There just isn't. But I made the point that I think they're doing the wrong thing. They're trying to make abortion illegal because they need to protect the sanctity of of life and people are, you know, they're starting to do this um, six weeks. If you're six weeks pregnant after that, you end up getting jail time. A doctor could get up to 99 years. Like it's a massive thing that they're doing passing these laws. And, you know, it makes it less um, possible for, um, you know, women's health uh, to you know, or for let's say it makes it worse for women's health for them to be able to um, take care of whatever they need to take care of and whatever scenario or whatever you want to come up with. There are just issues there. Right. It cannot be clear cut. No abortion because there are medical reasons for abortion. Right. So like there's all these sort of reasons here. OK. And again, it's so much gray area. That is very difficult. But in the last episode, I made mention that I think they're doing it wrong. And I, I think what they're doing is they're trying to address the symptom and not the cause. So I gave the example of if you have a runny nose, you stick tissue up your nose. What good does that do? It blocks the snot from coming out your nose. <laughs> That's it. It blocks the snot. You still have a cold. You have an active cold. You are sick. So what would be better is to address the sickness, right? And understand, I'm using this analogy of a cold and sickness. I'm not saying anything about sickness for people who have abortions because I'm in that boat. I've been there. Okay, so I'm not passing judgment on anybody, but I'm just saying in a simple example, that you have a sickness, your nose is running, you don't just stop your nose up. You take something to address your cold. Okay? So, what they need to do is deal with the cause of it, which is sex. Right? So, it's not banning sex. Like, you don't need to ban it. You know, it's natural. It's what we're here to do create. We're here to multiply. Right? Okay? Now, depending on your religious beliefs, you may believe you're supposed to wait on marriage, you're supposed to wait on this, you're supposed to wait on that, blah, blah, blah. But even if you're married, maybe you don't want to have kids yet. Maybe you don't want to have kids at all. You know, they uh, they try to say that, um, OK, well, there are plenty of people who want to adopt. But for some reason, we have a whole bunch of kids who are not adopted right now. Hundreds of thousands. The last number I saw was like four hundred and fifty thousand kids who were not adopted. Who are waiting to be adopted. So all those people saying ban abortion, use adoption. Eh, I mean, we're kind of we're kind of there like people aren't people aren't flocking to adopt kids. OK, so 
what I think they need to do, better sex education, better birth control, make this stuff more available, right? And that's birth control from, you know, pills or whatever, you know, medicine or patches or whatever they have, you know, whatever devices they have, physical devices that they have, as well as mental, just sex education and things of that sort. Make all of those things readily available. Reduce the possibility of pregnancy, which then reduces the possibility of abortion, right? An apple away keeps a doctor away, right? Why do they say that? Because an apple a day, you know, quote unquote, will keep you healthier, will keep your immune system working better, blah, 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 right? Same concept, okay? So AOC, if you don't know who AOC is, as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Just feel like you're supposed to say it like that, even though I have my, uh, anyway, <laughs> I don't roll it just as good as I should be. But either way, she tweeted out um, birth control should be over the counter. Pass it on. And think about that before we read the response here. Think about it. Why isn't it? Why isn't birth control over the counter? Why do you have to take your child into the doctor, sit down with them? and get a prescription from a doctor. Now, I don't know, maybe you're a doctor. Maybe you can explain that. Maybe you can answer and have a good reason for that. I just can't see it. I mean, you can literally go out. You can drink beer legally. You can bring it home, get drunk at home. Don't drive drunk, please. You can do all those things, but you cannot go get birth control. And then on top of that, if you live in Alabama or Missouri or Louisiana, now you could end up getting jail time or your doctor could if they perform an abortion after a certain time or whatever the case may be for for those specific laws in the states because they vary slightly. So why isn't birth control more available? Why can't my daughter who may be interested in sex, may, maybe she wants to explore sex before marriage? And it's not something that she wants to talk about. Maybe she doesn't want to come to me or her mom or stepmom or and have that conversation. Maybe she just wants to go pick up some pills. Or whatever kind of devices birth control is, I, I don't know what it is today, but back in my day, it was yeah, birth control pills. OK, so maybe that's what she wants to do. Maybe she wants to get that shot or whatever. You know, I can understand if there's some medical ramifications um, to that, but I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Ted Cruz responded to AOC who tends to want to fight AOC quite a bit. Uh, he tends to, they tend to go back and forth, Democrat, Republican, you know, they, they tend to not agree. Um, he responded and he actually quote tweeted her and he said, I agree about birth control being over the counter. He said, I agree. Perhaps in addition to the legislation we are already working on together to ban members of Congress from becoming lobbyists, we can team up here as well. A simple, clean bill making birth control available over the counter. Interested? And so AOC responded. And um, she basically, or no, no, that was sorry to another tweet. But she basically, like, that's what they want to do. You know, like, why wouldn't that be the case? Like, it just makes sense. Right. So let the laws pass their anti-abortion or whatever. We can end up making birth control more available. We can increase sex education and we can help stop it at the front as opposed to trying to stop it on the backside of it. Right. Don't try to straighten up a drunk driver while they're driving. Stop them from getting in the car. Don't ride alongside of them and say, hey, man, hey, hey, you're, you're swerving. Nah, stop them from getting in the car. Take the keys. OK, now, I'm not saying banning sex. I'm just saying let's just find a way to protect those who aren't interested in having kids from getting pregnant. So therefore. There's no need for abortion. But the other thing they were talking about. And uh, this will be in the show notes as well. AOC stated, if you are a member of Congress, um, and leave, you shouldn't be allowed to turn right around, 
leverage your service for a lobbyist check. I don't think it should be legal at all to become a corporate lobbyist if you served in Congress. At a minimum, there should be a long waiting period. So here's what happens. You work in Congress, then you decide, I want to go make millions of dollars as a lobbyist. So then you jump the fence and you become a lobbyist for a corporation. And now you are going to Congress to basically grease the slid uh, or um, grease the wheels uh, for whatever corporation you're working for. And you're trying to get their law passed that they're interested in. That's what happens. A lot. And so Ted Cruz also retweeted this and stated, here's something I don't say often. On this point, I agree with AOC. Indeed, I have long called for a lifetime ban on former members of Congress becoming lobbyists. The swamp would hate it, but perhaps a chance for some bipartisan cooperation. And then AOC responded with, if you're serious about a clean bill, then I'm down. Let's make a deal. If we can agree on a bill with no partisan snuck in clauses, no poison pills, et cetera, just a straight clean bill on members of Congress becoming paid lobbyists, then I'll co-lead the bill with you. And so what she's talking about with the with the clean bills is what happens is you say, hey, I want a bill. I want to do this. And then in doing so, you end up saying, OK, yeah, I'll give you this thing that you want. But I also want to add in this other thing. And so now the bill's not clean. And that's why you get people in Congress voting against something. And it's used as a political tool like, oh, you voted against such and such, whatever it is, whatever, you know, let's say you voted against uh, banning abortion. Let's say since we're talking about that now, anybody can go to any Republican held, you know, area and they can just say, you don't want. Governor Congressman X, because they voted against abortion and all of the crowd is woo, right. But what they don't tell you is in that abortion bill was also an appropriation bill that gave, you know, X amount of millions of dollars in spending to something they didn't believe in. So it's not that the bills just aren't clean and they do that. They lump them all together with all this extra stuff. That's why we can't deal with DACA and all this other stuff because they don't have clean bills. So anyway, hopefully this happens. I will, I will look forward to it. Uh, Ayanna Presley responded and she said, hi there, Ted Cruz hit up our girl, Patty Murray. She and I have already written the bill album dropping tomorrow. Wink face. <laughs> so, um, you know, again, hopefully, uh, this happens. Cause I, I said in the last episode, I think that's what we need to do. We just simply need to do that. All right. So before we here, um, there was a um, an event um, where John Stewart, if you don't recall, he was on uh, The Daily Show. He was a host and then he stepped away. And now Trevor Noah um, runs it. But John Stewart, hilarious, hilarious on The uh, Daily Show. I loved watching it. Um, don't always agree with him, but I just loved it. I just thought he was hilarious. Well, the 9-11 Victims Fund has been near and dear to his heart over the last few years. And I wish I had enough time. I will play the whole clip. It's in the show notes. I urge you, urge you, urge you to go watch it. He went off on Congress. And you may not even agree with everything he's saying. But this is what we should be doing. We should be holding Congress's feet to the fire. We definitely should, without a shadow of a doubt. And I'm just going to end up playing the last bit of it here for you. Um, but he ended up getting a standing ovation for it. God, for people like John Feel. Thank God for people like Ray Pfeiffer. Thank God for all of these people who will not let it happen. They responded in five seconds. They did their jobs with courage, grace, Tenacity, humility. 18 years later, do yours. Thank you. And so the applause goes on and on, but I really urge you to watch the whole thing. And the, the short of it is the people 
the first responders from 9-11 who we always say hashtag never forget hashtag first responders hashtag hashtag we we love saying it but these are the people who are dying because of cancer and other related things that happened as a result of going in to um to the uh, 9-11 wreckage and their insurance has lapsed it hasn't been funded and they're dying I mean just straight up they're dying it just seems like that's something that we as a country we should not have an issue with right if we we hold so near and dear the first responders and we say that these people are they're they're high up on a pedestal but when it comes to fund their insurance it's okay if they die that's the way uh, John Stewart I mean that's what John Stewart is fighting for and it's a worthy fight so we are the political free agents again check us out at politicalfreeagents.com at PFA podcast on Instagram Twitter and Facebook check us out get in touch let us know your thoughts we love to engage with you might even have you on the show that's it with a PFA and we're out <laughs>